it going everybody welcome back to diamond talk today we continue our corona chronicles we got brian lewis in the house and he's gonna be drafting for the red sox brian how you doing oh it's a good day uh you know obviously not a lot of positives going on with the red sox this offseason you know john henry pulling some crap but otherwise you know we'll get to talk about a lot of legends in the game of baseball and some of the greatest athletes too in sports as well so i'm, I'm pumped for this before we shit on John Henry too bad, he might have the steal of the century if there's no season played this year. He might get Jeter Downs and your your right fielder, uh, Verdugo, essentially for free. Because if there's no season played, Mookie Betts becomes a free agent. So he might be a secret agent, secret genius here. He might have started coronavirus. I mean, I don't want to put that out there, but not, not a bad move. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? There's some MIT and Harvard professors getting arrested for that stuff. So that's some serious business. <laughs> All right, man. Just saying. Like, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, man, we got we got Rob and Nick, man. Rob, Nick, how you guys doing? Doing pretty good, man. Doing pretty good. I'm I'm excited to to record this episode. Um, but yeah, uh, the Red Sox suck. That's all I'm gonna say on that. Damn, cold, cold blooded, man. Yo, Nick, how you? Perfect, man. Look, and talking about history, again, we've appointed Nick, the historian for SAW when it comes to baseball. And as always, he's written us uh, an amazing backstory for the Red Sox here. So with that being said, man, let me give it to you guys. Um, the Boston Red Sox became a franchise in 1901 and were a charter member of the American League. Their official nickname, Red Sox, was not official until 1907. The following year, their current logo took shape and has stayed almost the same since. The Red Sox were originally supposed to be in Buffalo, but at the last minute, the American League owners decided to move into Boston to compete with the National League Boston Red Stockings. The Red Sox won the first ever World Series in 1903 and likely would have won in 1904, but the New York Giants protested the postseason that year, which at the time was the only World Series, so there was no official World Series winner. The Red Sox have a long history of a lot of winning and losing. The curse of Bambino, Pesky's pole, Bucky Dent's errors, and Carton Fist, Carton Fist uh, frantically waving a ball fair as he hopes as he hops down the line are all etched into Major League Baseball history. Oh man, I'm surprised I didn't mention uh, Bill Buckner in that one. <laughs> oh, what's it called? Uh, let's see. The, the Red Sox and Yankees rivalry began in 1904 when the Yankees were the Highlanders and challenging the Red Sox for AL dominance. Two fun facts. First, the Red Sox have the record for most consecutive home sell sellouts with 820 games from April 15, 2003 through May 10, 2013. The Red Sox have won every World Series in which the World Series logo features two flags. The Red Sox have won nine World Series, 14 AO pennants, and have 38 Hall of Famers. 14 of them wear the Red Sox logo on their cap. Three, they have three Hall of Fame announcers, 12 MVPs, seven Cy Youngs, Six rookie of the years and fifty-five silver sluggers, along with forty-eight gold gloves. Brian, did we miss anything that we should have had there? Um, I mean, there's a lot of disappointment in between. We can avoid that. <laughs> we can avoid that. There's a lot of disappointment in between, uh, but there's a lot of great players. And today, you know, we'll get to sprinkle in on that. So that's more. That's pretty much going to tell the story of the Red Sox as those players. At least for me, that's how I feel. Especially when you have a team that didn't win a lot of titles for a long time. Yeah, they, they had a long stretch there, man. But before we get to our, our, our draft, I do want to ask you guys this question that deals with this season. 
today it kind of came out that um, the MLB higher-ups are proposing an 82-game season, and that has some details with the players and having a 50-50 revenue share. There would be a DH for both leagues. The divisions would be strictly regional instead of having you know teams travel and play across the country. You know, I'll start off with you, Rob, because you're the one that kind of put us up on our site, man. Where do you think the season's heading, and do you think we're going to actually have a season this year? Um, well, I think I think that's what the MLB is pushing uh, towards. I think the MLB is pushing towards having a season because they don't want to lose 100% of their revenue. Um, I think that everyone has kind of given into the idea that every team in the league is going to be taking up a financial loss somehow. Um, same thing's going to happen in, in the NBA and things like that. But I think I think I think we might be in for a very tough negotiation simply for that 50 50 uh, revenue split. I don't think the players are going to have too much issue with the other points that got brought up. Um, the shortened season, I think, is going to be, be fine. The DH in both leagues is going to be fine. The, you know, the, even even the 14 postseason teams, because it, if, if anything, it gives more teams opportunity to actually make the postseason. Um, so I think it's going to come down to revenue. Um, it's not something that I can personally expand on too much because. Um, I even read an article that uh, Jeff Passan had written for ESPN and, and it was just it's too complex um, going back and forth on, uh, on the overall financial situation and what they're going to talk about um, during their negotiations. Um, but, you know, I did put a comment in there saying I, I kind of don't mind if the season is canceled. Um, I, I, I love the sport of baseball and yeah, I would love to see some baseball, but I feel like we're going to get a shortened season with a lot of um, just different things attached to it. And even though we had talked a little bit before about how good experimenting and trying different things could be for the MLB, and while I do agree that it'll be a good thing, I just think I'm not trying to get into arguments down the line because this season is going to bring those arguments. There's going to be an asterisk there for whoever ends up at a, as a champion. I mean, think about it. We talked about it a few episodes ago. We realistically could be talking about a Seattle Mariners, Toronto Blue Jays, Pittsburgh Pirate, like those types of teams having real shots um, at a title under an 82-game season. Um, which is fun. It's a fun idea, but um, it's an argument that I'd rather try to avoid down the line. That's that's completely understandable too, because you know what? The way the way that baseball is played right now, the way teams are set up, they're set up for 162. They're not set up for that short sprint. Then 82 game season would be. And my, my bad. I meant 162, not not 182. Um, but yeah, te- teams sign their free agents. They draft their players. They construct their rosters with that 162 marathon in mind, and that affects teams like the Dodgers. That affects teams like the Yankees. That definitely affects teams like the Rays. I mean, it gives it gives teams that might not be as deep, but that definitely have the top end talent, like the Blue Jays, like the Reds, um, maybe even like the White Sox. It gives them a realistic chance to win a ship this season. Um, and a little bit more on the on the revenue thing. The, the difference between the MLB and some of the other sports. MLB doesn't really have revenue sharing, at least the way the other sports. In the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, it all rates somewhere between 50, 48 to 52% as far as the, the revenue split. With baseball, they kind of avoided that. And basically what that has done, it keeps away from having from baseball having a salary cap. And that's kind of the big reason why Tony Clark and the Players Association don't want to do that 50-50 split. They kind of believe it would, might set a precedent where – MLB owners down the line might be like, hey, look, this worked for this time. Maybe it might work permanently. And, you know, baseball has had his uh, famous stoppages, especially like in the 90, I want to say 92 season and things like that. So 
It's somewhere that they don't want to head. Anyway, Nick, do you think we're going to have a season this year? I think I don't think we're going to have one. Uh, to get these two sides to agree on such short notice, and I listen to John Boy Media a lot, talking baseball, and I guess there was a line in the previous agreement to cut the pay by however many games are played, <clears throat> and I guess there was some real fine print there that the Players Association leaders did not notice. And it's like an automatic out for the owners. And if they take this new deal where they're getting a percentage of the revenue, I think it's two things. One, it's going to lower their pay so much this year that they're going to not be happy, which means they're likely going to strike. But two, if they ever did do a bigger revenue share with the new agreement, I don't think the owner is going to go with it. They're going to say this isn't precedent setting. So I don't, I mean, I want to see the season. I think 82 games is right about the minimum to have it to be a legit season because in order to make it through the regular season with a winning record and also make the playoffs and win, you do have to be one of the better teams. But if they allow 14 teams in the playoffs, uh, I think it it's going to really tarnish whoever wins this title. But it'll be exciting because it gives teams like the Padres, White Sox, Blue Jays, teams with a lot of young talent shoot even the Marlins a chance to make the playoffs and who knows what kind of run that can go on. So I want to see baseball no matter what I'm watching KBO and I still can't read or pronounce the names. Like seven of the dudes in the lineup are last name Kim. So I don't even know who I'm talking about or cheering for. I'm ready to get back to some American baseball where I know the players and I can really see the talent. Yeah. And, and we talked, and I, I mean, I, I think I touched on about the, the, the KBO league or whatever, and it's definitely different. Uh, I'll say this, Koreans have a, it's not, you know, it's still baseball. It's just a little different. Uh, you can say, you can see that the approach, the approach is taken by the players is, is not what we're used to, at least in the United States. And with that being said, Brian, man, what about you? What, what do you think is going to happen this year? Well, I've been, I've been keeping track of what's going on in multiple sports with the comeback. Like I think baseball, if you wanted to have baseball come back, I mean, they could have it in set locations because certain states aren't going to allow certain things. But now you're starting to play with things. You're starting to play with things like interstate commerce and constitutional things that most common people may not care or want to understand because it's far out of their realm. So with that being said, I think for baseball, it might be tough to have a season. 82 games, like that's not going to be really enough to really solidify any sort of legitimacy. I, I completely agree. Like, I don't know how that's going to be looked at in the future. I mean, people look back at those Redskins Super Bowls in the eighties during the lockout seasons and like, yeah, you know, they were good teams, but they never won in legitimate years until 91, which even 91 was almost a lockout too, ironically. So it's just, um, you know, we got to start looking at it that way. And plus it's, we got to protect the players, the staff, and never mind the fact playing with no crowd, that's going to hurt a bunch of those attendants and the bars that are surrounding areas, Fenway itself, such as a Boston episode, kind of, I mean, that whole scene around Fenway park, it's, it's, it's like a carnival, every game, every home game is a carnival and, and you're losing that atmosphere. That kind of sucks. It, it definitely does. It's, it's one of those things where I, I think when you're a young player, if you're someone who never got to major leagues, you can probably think to yourself, what's the big deal? You know, I've never played with a big crowd. I still was as competitive as, as ever. But once you, once you become a professional and the fans and that kind of interaction becomes part of your everyday routine and your everyday life, it, it might change some things. 
And that's one of those things that I don't, I'm not sure if everyone's taking account of. Plus some of the stuff you mentioned, there's, there's a lot going on that is further than just, can we do this or can we not? There's, you know, there's rules, there's, there's safety. There's just a whole bunch of things that need to happen for this kind of thing to happen. So I, I kind of agree with you guys, unfortunately. I don't know if this is, if there's going to be a baseball season this year. If I were to put my money on it, I would say no. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to overcome, but that being said, there has been some really good baseball played until 2020. And especially in the last couple of decades, the Red Sox have been the front leader in that. You know, they have four World Series wins since the 2000, since the year 2000. And I think I think it's time for our draft, man. What do you guys think? Let's There's do a lot it. of talent. The order. There's going to be All a lot right. of talent. Yeah. What's the draft order? What's the draft order? All right. So look, so we, so I did the randomizer. Brian's got first pick. Our guest always gets first pick. Rob, you get the second pick this time, this time. And Nick, you have the, the third with the turnaround. Let's do this. All Yo, right. I want to say this before we start. There was a scenario that I ran through my head. If I got the second pick, um, I almost texted it to you, uh, Daniel, just because I wanted some evidence that, like, I called this beforehand. But I'll let you know if it actually happens with my second pick and Nick's third and fourth pick. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. All right. Uh, looking forward to see what that's all about. But let's get started, man. And, Brian, you got your first pick. You're up, man. Who are you taking? I think the number one pick, I think this is uh, a rather easy pick seeing that this is a guy that is synonymous with everything that represents the Boston Red Sox historically. Now, I love David Ortiz. Let me tell you this right now. I love David Ortiz. That man brought some of the best sports moments of my life, the 2013 World Series, the speech after the marathon bombing, and everything else. But with that being said, you know, the best player that ever played for the Red Sox if it's not going to be a certain pitcher, which I will wait and let you guys name it, is Ted Williams. And to me, every single Red Sox fan over the age of 50 will tell you, Ted Williams was that guy. What Mickey Mantle was in the 50s and 60s to New York Yankees fans is what Ted Williams was to Boston fans. He represents, uh, if you were going to go any Red Sox fan, you tell him that's, that's their guy. The 99 All-Star game pretty much was synonymous to that. I mean, there were a lot of players that played for the Red Sox. Well, in that all-star game, and he got brought out, he was the guy that everybody looked at as that's the guy that literally influenced a lot of those hitters to improve their swing and change their swing and change the course of baseball. Power hitting was never the same after him, especially after the Babe Ruth era. You're absolutely right. And that kind of lines up with who I thought was going to be taken first overall. For me, Ted Williams is Boston Red Sox baseball in so many different ways. He influenced, you know, you, you, you talked about that influence. And one of the guys who talked about Ted Williams a lot was Tony Gwynn. And he took a lot from Ted Williams' game, how he approached baseball, how he approached hitting. So Ted Williams is one of those guys who definitely affected baseball for decades after he retired. Plus, he's a, he's a, he was a World War II veteran. So he's a guy who, his stats could have been better had he not taken some time off. And, yeah, Ted Williams, I'm not even surprised that's the pick, man. I, I think it's a great pick. He probably would have been my first overall pick in this Red Sox draft, man. Uh, I wanted to pick Ortiz so bad, though. I mean, in my <laughs> heart, I felt wrong from not picking Ortiz. But, like, I had to. Too much respect for Ted Williams and his legacy. 
Is Ortiz your favorite Red Sox? I don't think there is a kid under the age of 35 that wouldn't say that Ortiz is the most important member of the Boston Red Sox over the last 25 to 30 years. My favorite Red Sox player would always be Pedro Martinez because, to me, I loved how in your face he was. That's just that's – just, that, to me, is more of what Boston is than Ortiz because of the mentality. But deep down, Ortiz was just – he meant so much more. But just like Brady. I mean, I, he's on the same level as Tom Brady, in my opinion. All right, and I can and I can uh, say as a Yankee fan growing up, I thought Pedro was like a straight asshole, but it was because of what you said <laughs> and, and, and the, fire, the fire he brought to to the game. Even though it meant meant throwing a eight year old man by his head to the floor, but we'll get to that later. Yo, Rob, who's your yeah. first pick? Yeah. So um, one thing I just wanted to say, yeah, I, I think if whenever you're doing a, a Red Sox draft, you have to go with Ted Williams as your number one. Um, you kind of alluded it to it a little bit, but he did miss those three years um, that he was out in the war. Um, so he does have he doesn't have like that, you know, uh, great stat that everyone wants to say, like he's not a member of the 3000 hit club. He definitely would have been if he would have played those three years. I think he finished with um, over twenty six hundred hits. Um, so I think that's that's one thing that kind of stood out to me when when I was doing my research on Williams. Um, but yeah, I think what you were talking about, we're going to get to right now, because as a Yankee fan, I will go ahead and take that asshole and I'm taking Pedro Martinez with my number one pick. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> which I, can I get one Pedro thought, which actually ties into the previous story before he, Rob continues. Um, yeah, go ahead. so when I saw the Don Zimmer interview on best damn sports show period with Eddie George and John Sally. I completely changed my opinion on Don Zimmer after that. I was a 10-year-old kid. I hated – I was like, Don Zimmer put himself in position to get hurt. And then after that interview, I go, you know what? I didn't realize how important Don Zimmer was to the history of baseball, and I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that first and foremost. <laughs> there you go. Yo, so, Rob, what are you going to say about Pedro? Yeah, so I think um... – it was an easy choice for me. Um, like I said, Williams Williams had to go number one. I knew that if I got the number two pick, it was going to be Pedro. Um, simply because I think that the the Red Sox as a franchise, I, I'll tell you ahead of time, like there's going to be a lot of good starting pitchers that get picked in this draft. Um, but to me, Pedro is the best pitcher in Red Sox history. Um, that's just my opinion. I know there's some other guys that you can argue for. Um, there's, there's some other guys that I compared him to, and there's, you know, you can make the argument of different eras. If you're talking early 1900s to more modern day. Um, but you know, just to read you off some, some stats. So Pedro won uh, Cy Young twice with the Red Sox in 99 and 2000. He had six total top five Cy Young finishes from 98 to 04. The man went 117 and 37 with a 2.52 ERA. Um, he had over 1600 strikeouts. He had a 0.97 whip. His his two Cy Young seasons, ninety nine and two thousand, he went forty one and ten with a one point nine zero ERA and a point eighty three WHIP. He also had five hundred ninety seven strikeouts compared to sixty nine walks in those two seasons. Um, and I had talked about this a little earlier on the page, but Pedro is the only pitcher in MLB history with five seasons of a, of an ERA plus higher than two hundred, and he also has the highest ERA plus in MLB history for his two thousand season with two ninety one. So if I'm going to go with any pitcher in terms of Red Sox history, the number one guy that I want leading my rotation is Pedro Martinez. Not bad, man. And look, because of his because of his, because of his impact on the Red Sox and the fact that he was a part of that 2014, Pedro was my first pitcher on 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 the Red Sox too. So I, I, I'm not mad at that pick at all, man. Nick, all right, Nick. So who are you taking with your first pick? 
So I was going to take Pedro, and I legit thought that Pedro would slip past Rob. So that really throws me for a loop. Um, I know who I'm definitely going to pick, though, with my first overall pick is going to be Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens, man, it. yeah. He's, he, he was my number He was my number two pitcher off the board, man. Roger Clemens had, yeah. a, had a great stint with the Red Sox, man, so speak on it. So obviously, back-to-back Cy Youngs, he also was an MVP winner. Um, he led the league in ERA plus five different times in his, I think, 12, 13 years there. Uh, led the league in shutouts four, five times. Pitched over 200 innings in seven of those years. Led the league in strikeouts three times. Uh, I mean, he was just dominant. He was just truly – sorry, he had three Cy Youngs. He was just a truly dominant pitcher with his time there. Um, he did get better as time went on. And Pedro, for his heights and his stretches in Boston – well, I was definitely going to be my number one, but I definitely am not mad to have Roger Clemens atop my my starting rotation. Not bad at all. Plus, we talked about it. He, I, I want to say he made our Blue Jays episode. He's made our Red Sox episode. And if we're going to keep going, I have a feeling he's going to make a couple more episodes. But that being said, who's your turnaround pick? So this is where it throws me for a loop because as deep as the starting pitching is for the Red Sox, there's a lot of older guys, and so they all kind of beat on each other, like how bad was the era. I really want to bolster my starting staff, but I'm going to go with a very versatile Red Sox and somebody who's already been picked on another draft. I'm going to go double X Jimmy Fox. Jimmy Fox, man, making a comeback. Uh, we, you know, we like I said, what was the other uh, draft you had him in? I want to say it might have been the – the Angels, the A's, right? The A's, the A's, the A's. Okay, all right. So Jimmy Fox, and he does play multiple positions. He plays, he played first, he played third. I want to say he had some time catching too. Oh boy, did he in outfield? I got a lot of ways <laughs> I can go with drafting Jimmy Fox. That's for sure. Oh man, he gives, he's giving you options. All right. Uh, with that being said, oh, Rob, who's your number two? All right, so remember that scenario I was talking about earlier? That is the exact scenario I was alluding. <laughs> I was alluding to. <laughs> I Nick Nick was looking at my notebook because I literally before this draft started, I literally had in my head if I get the number three and four pick, Nick is gonna pick either Pedro or Clemens, and then I'm gonna take whatever guy he doesn't take and Jimmy Fox with my <laughs> with my next two picks. So that's it. That's exactly how I knew the picks were gonna go. Um, great mind. That's great interesting. Mind. I predicted the first four picks exactly how they would happen. Um, okay, so now I got to take a look because I was really hoping that Jimmy Fox would slide past him. Um, let me take a look here. I could just start. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to learn from my mistakes in the Detroit Tigers, um, draft. And I'm just going to start going real heavy on pitching and I'm going to take Cy Young with my second pick. You start. Look, I'm man, gonna learn they, some mistakes, man. If they if they name an award after you, you're probably pretty good. He didn't play his for the Red Sox his entire career, but he did spend a good portion of his of his time there. He has what over 500 wins. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it, even if we're even if we're just talking about his time um, with the Red Sox, I mean, like you said, when you have an award um, named after you, like you're doing pretty good for yourself. But from 1901 to 1908, he won 192 games to 112 losses, a two ERA. He pitched 275 complete games, had over uh, 1,300 strikeouts, 0.97 whip, 
Um, and his best season was probably 1901 when he went 33 and 10 with a 1.62 ERA and a 0.97 whip. Um, I think Cy Young, Cy Young, Clemens, and Martinez, who've been picked, I think are the three top pitchers in Red Sox history. Um, and like I said, I'm willing to risk a little bit and letting uh, Brian pick some hitters here while I just snagged two of the top three pitchers, starting pitchers in Red Sox history. The good thing, the good thing with Red Sox pitching is that it is deep. So you know, oh, it is. It is. Oh, there's plenty of pitching. Oh, there's plenty it, of pitching. Yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of pitching, but there's only enough space for tier one pitching. So that's true. And and Young and Pedro and Clemens are there. I'd probably put another guy or two in there as well, but I'll I'll gladly take those two and and give up a little room for the hitting. Um, and I'll see I'll see where I'm at when it comes back to me. Rob just got two two thirds of the only top tier pitching because uh, there there is a difference between Pedro Roger. And Cy and everybody else, in my opinion. But here's here's one crazy stat. I want to make sure everybody that's listening knows about Cy Young. In his whole career, 22 years pitching, he had 749 complete games. And as Daniel said, he had 511 wins. That means he had 238 more complete games than he did wins. That right there is what separates him from everybody, every other pitcher in that time era. Absolutely. And look, and that's one of the things we have to think about when we're doing these drafts is that baseball has changed over time in a significant way. There's there's no player on the planet Earth for the next billion years that's going to do something like Cy Young did. And that's basically pretty much because of the way the game is played, the way pitchers train, the way the way that like we even think about the game of baseball and what's the most effective way to win games. So, you know, it's it's definitely an old time pick. And, you know, I can't say that – I don't know how Cy Young would do in modern-day baseball. But regardless, that is very impressive, man. And that being said, yo, Brian, you're up with your second and third picks. All right. Well, if we're going to talk about pitching, let me get a guy that can play both ways. If we're going to talk about old days, let me go Babe Ruth. That Babe guy won Ruth. 20 games twice. He was on my list for sure. I mean, he can only play one position, though, so let's remember that. <laughs> I mean, I, hey, they had him pitch every fifth day for a while, even as a I, bullpen guy. So I thought I thought Babe Ruth was going to take get taken before Cy Young in this draft, actually. Me too, no, actually. I was surprised. No. <laughs> yeah? No, yeah. No, no. I had Babe Ruth going before Cy Young here. But, but anyway, yeah, look, Babe Ruth, everyone knows the history of Babe Ruth. Was traded from Boston to the Yankees, where where he absolutely exploded on the scene. And right now, ESPN is doing their documentary on Michael Jordan. I want to believe if this was the year uh, 1930 or 1940, and ESPN was running documentaries on sport figures, Babe Ruth would be that guy. He was the Michael Jordan of his era, and maybe for the next 80 years. He, even probably now, Babe Ruth might be the first baseball player you hear of when you're when you're growing up because of what he meant to the game. But yo, know, that being said, who's your third pick? Oh yeah, that's right, back to back picks. So if that's the case, you know, pitching. How about I'm going to go with a guy that a lot of Boston fans uh, don't necessarily like, but if we're talking about the late '80s, early '90s. And you're talking about the infield and the Boston Red Sox. And I'm going to talk about it's Wade Boggs. And I'm going to tell you exactly why Wade Boggs. Because at Fenway Park, that left field, and I need a guy to can play in the infield and could be a very good infielder, that guy's going to play that Fenway wall perfectly. 
81 games a year, that's advantage me. Yeah, and you you could argue Wade Boggs was Red Sox' greatest third baseman, even even over Jimmy Fox because of how long he played with the Red Sox. And that's that's a great pick, man. And I you know, look, I got a funny story about Wade Boggs that I'm just gonna throw in here right now. When I was four years old, it. yeah. When, when I was four years old, Wade Boggs played for the Yankees. And as many Latino brethren, I did not grow up with my father. The only things I knew about my dad was that he had a mustache. And he was balding. Throw in Wade Boggs, who had a mustache and was balding. When they won the 96 World Series and Wade Boggs was riding around the horse in Yankee Stadium, I thought that was my dad. I even asked my mom, Mom, is that my dad? And her trifling, lying ass said, yes, that is your father. He is a New York Yankee third baseman. And for, for like the first five to six years of my life, I thought Wade Boggs was my dad. And obviously, like I learned better. But Wade Boggs is always going to be one of those baseball players that's a really close place in my heart. Even though I know he's not really a Yankee, he's, he's definitely a Red Sox, even though he, he won that championship with New York. But I just want to throw that little tidbit in there for, for, for the fans at home. If, by the way, if you want to guess my password as Wade Boggs and all my stuff, you might, you might be right 99% of the time. But <laughs> I mean, just with the Red Sox in 11 seasons, he got 2,100 hits. So, like, he got 2,100 hits in 11 years. This guy basically was a stud. He led the league in doubles at least at least twice. And I think he led the league in walks twice as well. So, And the dude was a great hitter. I mean, absolutely great hitter. I mean, I got literally the best hitting third baseman in Red Sox history and the best hitting left fielder in Red Sox history. There you go, man. Offense is definitely coming well, together. He's going to be a starting pitcher because most of his time at the Red Sox, he was a starting pitcher. So I want to make that very <laughs> There you go, man. Yo, Rob, you're, you're pitching heavy right now. You took you took Pedro and Cy Young. Who's your third pick? Yeah, so and I'm not going to lie to you. I kind of thought about going with the third straight starting pitcher because I would literally just max out my starting rotation. But I don't want my lineup to be weak. So I'm going to go ahead and hurt Brian a little bit, and I'm going to take David Ortiz with my third overall pick. Whew. No, that's that a great pick. Be. Can't blame you there, but it does hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking over at uh, David Ortiz. One thing that stuck out to me is David Ortiz has never won an MVP award. That was kind of surprising to me. Um, I mean, he did play in, a, in an era with a with a bunch of guys who who were, you know, it was, it was just an era that was pretty much loaded with talent. Um, but in his time with the Red Sox, um, since he did spend the majority of his career there, I just wanted to focus on what I saw as his peak. So from what I listed from his peak was from 04 to 07. He hit 304 with 177 home runs, 541 RBIs, and a 1.024 OPS. Now, the one thing that I wanted to point out about David Ortiz as well is this man retired in 2016 at the age of 40. Tell You tell me if this sounds like your typical I'm ready to retire type of season. In 2016, David Ortiz hit 315 with 38 home runs, 127 RBIs. He had a 620 slugging percentage, a 1.021 OPS, and 48 doubles. That is ridiculous for a final season in the MLB. That is – that is – one thing that hurts David Ortiz, and it's unfortunate because it is a position, but – I have to believe if he wasn't a DH and he was and he played first base more often, he probably would have had an MVP. He would have definitely had at least one. Um, and like you mentioned, those stats this last year—that's ridiculous. That that's that's insane. He's forty years old. He's he's ready to give it up, and here he is just absolutely dominating. So, 
Nick, man, you're, you're up. All right. So I want to go starting pitching as well, but I'm not going to because everybody left over. There's, I have a few guys from the list I want to pick. So I'm going to absolutely bolster my offense. I had the first seven picks as they were, except for Ruth. So the next guy on my list, and this is actually going to be pretty easy for me. I love watching this guy play, the way he crouched over. Just like me, it looked like he was mean mugging everybody and getting paid for it. Mo Vaughn at first base. Got to meet him. He was a hell of a guy, too. That was the weird part, is I heard that he was also, that he was actually really, really nice. And it was really weird to see a guy look so mean on the field and be so nice off the field. The original Big Mo, yeah. He. He played for a few teams. He went on to the Angels. He had he had a really good career with them too. But Mo Vaughn with the Red Sox had a lot of good years. And like I said, one of the nicer people there is in baseball. Uh, I actually had him as my second DH. I didn't know if you wanted to put him at first base or DH, but he was you know he was one of my top players on on that I was thinking about on this list. Uh, who's your fourth pick? My fourth pick, and I I think Rob is thinking that I'm slipping, and I didn't notice this, and I didn't see this, or something popped up. No, I was just making him sweat a little bit. I'm definitely taking Manny Ramirez out right here. Manny. Gotta love it. Gotta love Manny. Uh, Definitely an interesting player in Red Sox history because he literally was just an interesting person. Uh, He played left field. Me and uh, we were talking about in the group chat before and some of his antics, like using the bathroom out in uh, the Green Monster in between innings and then having the first ever like triple cut in – you know, major league baseball history. So it's a lot of, a lot of fun stuff with man before he went to Nick's most hated team, the dog turds. Yeah, but he, he yeah. was a beast. He played, he had almost 4,000 at bats there. Uh, 274 home runs, 868 RBIs, uh, 743 runs, but hit 312 and his OPS was 999. That's just a stud of a hitter. There's no way around it. And then to add in his, personality and his flair to a team that obviously loved it I'm, I'm good for that absolutely he was, he was he was a big part of that that world series team too and you know right now so far things are pretty good at least with, with my draft here i had manny ramirez as my second outfielder for, for, for the red sox so so i'm feeling good about my own stuff right here too uh rob man who's he your was fourth my, pick? He was my third overall on my board but i had to go pitching because i needed one of the top three but my top three were Manny, were Ted Williams, Jimmy Fox, and Manny Ramirez based on performance. There you go, man. Not, not, not bad at all. Uh, Rob, who's your fourth pick? All right, so with my fourth pick, I'm going to take a guy who's actually pretty close to the, to the top of my list, and I'm not going to let him slip past this round. Overall, just an offensive monster. He's also just a super versatile player. I can pretty much play him in a bunch of different positions. I'm going to go ahead and take the other guy to win a Triple Crown with the Red Sox, the guy who was an 18-time All-Star and also the 1967 MVP, Mr. Carl Yastrzemski. There we go, man. Yaz. And look, the good thing about Yaz, you have a few places to play him, man. If you want to move him to first, do you play the outfield for you? The dude was versatile. Yeah, he can play anywhere, man. Yeah, he can play anywhere. And um, in his peak for the Red Sox, he was a 299 hitter. 183 home runs, 560 RBIs. He had a .934 OPS, so a little lower OPS than some of the other guys. But his MVP season, he hit 326 with 44 home runs and 121 RBIs, over 1,000 OPS. He also happened to lead the league in runs, hits, on-base percentage, and slugging that season. 
And he makes great grandchildren. Nick knows because he played on Nick's last year's favorite team, the Giants, who he's he did pretty well last year too, his, his grandson, which I want to say is Mikey Scrimshaw. He, he did he did, yeah. he did really well for the Giants. Yeah, so that that bloodline. Yeah, yes. Yaz was such a consistent force for a long time, and a lot of those Red Sox teams were not very good. Um, it's just ironic that his rookie season was in 61, four, uh, 15 months after Ted Williams hit that long ball into that right field chair. So, just very <laughs> weird. <laughs> very much so, man. And with the weird stuff, you're back up. So, I was going to take Yaz, actually. So, that really is disappointing. But... I'm going to go back to pitching because I need to make a point to get actually someone that pitched for his whole career and not just a guy who pitched for five years. So I'm going to go with Lefty Grove. Uh, we're going to stick to the old timers because, well, he was the original goat lefty. Um, although I'm going to load up the numbers. I had the screen up. Oh, now it buffers. So good. <laughs> Yeah, dude, with Lefty Grove, uh, you know, 300 wins, 140 losses throughout his career. He did play for the A's. He did come to the Boston Red Sox later in his career. Uh, but he was still a very good pitcher with the Sox. Um, from 35 to 39, he was still consistently the best pitcher on the team. He was still a four-time MVP candidate in the top 20 in the league. Five-time All-Star all five years. Uh, he quit because he got into a disagreement with the manager. I don't blame him. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely was a time where the Red Sox were a little bit struggling too. Lefty Grove, he's another guy. He's another one of those guys where he, like, as far as Red Sox rankings go, he might be towards the the mid tier just because, like you said, he played the latter part of his career with them when he did have other great years with other teams. But yeah, not not a bad pick at all, man. You also have the fifth pick. And this is where I'm gonna have to get a guy that's gonna have to catch for him. So I'm going to get Carlton Fisk, the man from Vermont, because we need a little New England flavor here. Nice. Um, honestly, with Fisk, I think him leaving the Red Sox and going to the White Sox is one of the biggest abominations in the history of Boston sports, and there's a lot of them. We don't tend to keep guys. I don't know why. It's it's it, it's something that needs to be talked about, a whole like Joe Rogan-type podcast, why guys don't stay. But, um, you know, with Fisk, he was just fantastic. The 75 season – was something else. He was the catalyst. He was definitely the best player on that particular team outside of the pitching staff with Louis Tiant. But um, he just was – he was the leader, man. He he kept them going, and he was a great hitter as well. He was, and he's definitely uh, – statistically at least, he's definitely the, the Red Sox best catcher. I, I had him as my number one also at the catcher position. But you mentioned one big thing, man. Red Sox do – tend to let their guys go without trade them. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. They've had a lot of talent go through there. And you, you want to think that if they stayed on the team, that they'd have some historic seasons as a team. But like you said, that really hasn't, hasn't gone on, man. But that, that being said, yo, Rob, you got five. All right. So for my next pick, just looking around um, for my next pick, I'm going to take a guy. You know, since uh, Brian made a comment earlier that he has the number one third baseman in Red Sox history, I'm going to go ahead and take the number one shortstop in Red Sox history, and I'm going to take Nomar Garcia-Para with my fifth pick. Very nice. Okay. Very nice. Not very awesome. nice. Not nice. Not nice. I need <laughs> to stop writing names down that I want next, because every time I do, you take that dude. 
I have to. I have to, man. Look, I I, I told you how the scenario was going to play out to start this draft out. Now I'm just now I just got to start being ruthless. Absolutely. Look, we've mentioned it before. We have a live feed into Nick's room where we can see his computer and what he's writing down. And that live feed goes to me and Rob. And especially Rob can steal his draft picks. So it, it, it absolutely works out for him. But, yeah, look, no, no more. We, we had this discussion on the group whether for a period in time he was a better shortstop than Derek Jeter. And, look, there's an argument to be made that during those seasons from 97 to, yeah, I want to say like around 2002, 2003, he was – a better statistic shortstop than Derek Jeter and that he did offensive things for, for Boston that Derek Jeter just wasn't doing for the Yankees. So right. I think, I think no shortstop. He's definitely the Red Sox best shortstop. Yeah. And, and, you know, to, to go a little bit with that argument, um, obviously it's, it's a different type of argument because if you're comparing both, both players now, you do have to be, you have to like compare their careers with, with the team, but just looking at Nomar's peak, um, the point that I made about that was that I thought his his top two seasons, yes, I would give him over over Jeter, like the 99 and 2000 season where he had 357 and then hit 372 in back-to-back years. Um, I mean, those seasons were just incredible statistically. He he has more power than Jeter. Uh, but but there's also advantages that Jeter has. You know, Jeter, even though he gets criticized for being a, a, a terrible defender, he, he was a better defender than Nomar. Um, to me, he was a better overall just hitter, just pure contact hitter. More, He was better consistently than Nomar. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it was just – I don't necessarily think we need to have, like, an argument every time about it. I think Nomar at his peak was one of the one of the best shortstops in the game as well, along with Jeter and, and A-Rod and all those incoming guys. Um, so I'll, And he's definitely the number one uh, shortstop in Red Sox history statistically. Um, so I'll, I'm definitely fine with him for my fifth pick. Easily. And one thing to add on the Nomar thing, I just think it's weird that Boston media people uh, always tend to cling to that. They stay, but they all, but all the NFL people always say, well, Brady's the GOAT and nobody can question it. Well, the thing is, Derek Jeter won how many championships compared to Nomar? So, like, you're basically clowning Jeter. You're being a hypocrite, in other words. So that's that's my whole thing with Chad Finn, and I said that to him in person, too. So he knows it. <laughs> he yeah, knows I mean, it. I mean- <laughs> so we're talking about the defensive component too, and this isn't the Yankee episode, so I don't want to go too into it. But some of the things that went with Derek Jeter, I mean, went against Derek Jeter and his uh, play at short was his range factor. But the one thing that makes up for it that you probably don't see as much in this game today is, is the prep for it. Um, Derek Jeter was kind of studying tape and being analytical in an era where it wasn't really the norm for it. So he was his range wasn't great, but his first step. His anticipation was great, which is something that – it's why he won Gold Gloves. That – and because his name was Derek Jeter, let's be quite honest. Th- that being said, yo, Nick, who's your fifth pick? So I'm torn because there's a position that I think is a high priority since Rob just took shortstop. Uh, I really want to pick a different position right now, but I'm going to bolster up my outfield. And I'm going to go – I'm between two guys, but I'm going to take the guy that I, I believe is a better center fielder even though I never saw him play, never got the chance to saw him play, I'm going to go Tris Speaker. You said Tris Speaker, right? Tris Speaker, yes. Okay. Tris Speaker, he's one of those throwback guys, too. Uh, he didn't make my all-time outfield. He was, he was kind of uh, – he was left off it, but he was, he was very close. He was right on the borderline. I, didn't, he, I had pretty much listed out nine guys and – I tend to lean towards newer guys, but he wasn't on it. So what can you tell us about Tris Speaker? 
So his career with the Red Sox was 1,000 games, um, scored 700 runs, 542 RBIs, so he was more the on-base guy versus the power. But he still had an 896 OPS, which is, I mean, that's good. That's above league average for sure, especially back then. But in his time with Boston, he averaged 337, 267 stolen bases, only 39 home runs. But back then, a good indication of power was going to be your doubles. He had 241. So basically one out of every four games, he hit a double and he had 106 triples. So, uh, But he's also a really good center fielder. From the research that I've done, he's kind of the original Ken Griffey Jr. slash Andrew Jones slash Jim Edmonds character out there where it's like once the ball goes in the air, you can just walk back. As a pitcher, you can put your head down and walk into the dugout. Trish Speaker seems to be one of the original, like just high-profile, really good defensive center fielders. Yeah. Facts. So, and there's one little historical bit I'll add to this as well, because in the 1914 Red Sox, that era, the 1910s, they won a couple World Series titles. And that was the greatest outfield of the era, including Duffy Lewis and Harry Hooper. That was considered the million dollar outfield. Uh, that was the nickname. Now, Harry Hooper went on to become a big time businessman. Trish Speaker obviously was the best player of the three. So, you know, that was, imagine that as a big three, the way we talk about big threes in this era, that would have been something. Because they all had almost 680 plate appearances the year that Trish Speaker won MVP in 1911. There you go, man. Yo, Nick, who's your sixth pick? Uh, I'm going to go back to the starting pitcher because the only outfield – well, there's three outfields I want left, so I can wait. I would be surprised if they go over the next four picks. But I'm going to go Smokey Joe Wood for my second starting pitcher. Speaking of that Red Sox era. Smokey Joe, he actually did make it into into my starting pitcher list, man. Uh, oh, basically, pretty much because you of the name. For this. What's up? You would pass nineteen eighty for this one. I like. I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't love it. I don't love it. But yeah, tell me a little bit more about Smokey Joe. So he had a quick stint with Boston. It was only like seven years, eight years, nineteen oh eight to nineteen fifteen. They didn't have Cy Young awards that at that point, but he was fifth in MVP voting in nineteen twelve. Led the league in wins with 34 wins that year, um, 35 complete games. He's just he's he's one of the more if you if you're analytical savvy and you talk about the you know the whip and the spin rate, which obviously they can't measure from back then, but he's more of a a saber metrics darling from back in the day. His whip was 1.08. His average against was 2.19, which is second for qualifying pitchers in all of Red Sox history. And back then, if you got one strikeout every two innings, you were doing pretty good. Uh, and he actually was about 1.3, 1.4 strikeouts for every nine innings. Uh, so that's for, sorry, per inning pitch. So that just shows he was, he was really solid. I, this is one of the guys from back in the day that I think probably could pitch in today's game. Uh, he's not going to throw 105 for sure, but I feel like he had a little bit better fastball. Back in the day, the radar guns, from, I mean, they didn't have radar guns, so you can't really tell how fast somebody was pitching. But Smokey Joe Woods, strong, strong starting pitcher in the Boston Red Sox history. Glad to have him on my staff. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, no, scary thing with him is he only has one season where he pitched over 300 innings. So that's kind of like a knock on him. But he was kind of like that era as Sandy Koufax because he was so good for a short period of time and then he disappeared. Yeah, and it's kind of or, Val, or Fernando Valenzuela in the same realm too, um, you know, just 
But a fant- I mean, even nineteen fifteen, his last full season, fifteen and five, ERA one point four, and he started twenty five games. So even then, he was already starting to break down at twenty five. So maybe, maybe modern medicine could have kept him going a lot longer, perhaps. So that's that's a point you could definitely make. And like I said, I, he had one of the better baffles for back in the day, and to the point of, I mean, they threw all the time. They didn't have ice baths and all this modern medicine to take care of your body and nutrition. So I really think he flamed out. He had one of the better fastballs. He probably just flamed out with not knowing how to actually do it. But I mean, five eleven, one eighty. You put him. You put him at five eleven, one hundred ninety five pounds. I mean, he'd be in shape to be a pitcher. I don't think there are pitchers. Yeah. I think pitchers could work at that size, for sure. Yeah, the one thing I take into consideration for Smokey Joe's career was he he had he had a stance where he pitched over two hundred innings, almost into three hundred innings, and then towards the back end of that career. Those inning counts definitely went down, which is kind of what you guys were alluding to. That's that being said, Rob, you're up with your sixth pick. All right, so for my next pick, it's it's going to be pretty simple. Um, I just want to add some more offensive power, so I'm going to go with the guy, the first guy to win both MVP and Rookie of the Year in his first season. I'm going to go Fred Lynn. Fred Lynn, great pick, that was man. The guy I was, I was choosing between him and Chris Speaker. That's those were my two guys right there. Yeah, he, he, he was pretty good for the Red Sox. He was pretty good. Six-time All-Star. He was also a four-time Gold Glove Award winner. Um, during his peak, he was over a 300 hitter, 124 home runs, over 900 OPS. Um, his best season, I'd probably say, was 1979, where he hit 333 with 39 home runs, 122 RBIs, and a 1.059 OPS. Um, I really like his overall combo. I think he's a really good um, hitter, and he has a pretty solid defense as well. So I really like him in the outfield. Yeah, absolutely, man. And he he had a great early early start with the Red Sox too. So so great pick with him. And uh, Brian, you're up, bud. And I'm gonna go back to pitching and get one of uh, one of the greatest stories in the history of the Boston Red Sox, a true comeback story. Because this guy was a good pitcher in the '60s, and he was the face of our pitching staff in the '70s, despite a bad season during the Miracle '75 year. And that's Louis Tion. Um, as I said, a guy who has really kind of made a comeback, kind of like Cliff Lee, actually, because Cliff Lee had that one awful season, and then he just turned it around, and all of a sudden he was back. Kind of like Roger Clemens, too, except Tiant wasn't on that level. But um, with Tiant, like he was the face of those 70s Red Sox teams, that funky, uh, that funky delivery. He had seven shutouts in the 74 season that he won 22 games. In 76, he won 21. He was still an effective pitcher in 77 and 78 despite the ERAs being high, but he was still at a winning record. Then he went to the Yankees, of course, because George Steinbrenner paid big money. And he still pitched until his 40s. I think he ended up finishing his career in Mexico, where it started. So I know he was a guy that got in later. I know that. Yeah, one of the cool things about Luis Tian, uh, he was kind of Pedro in DR before Pedro. Uh, Luis Tian really led the way for a lot of Dominican pitchers of the 80s and 90s era because, as you said, he did have some great seasons with the Red Sox along with some other teams. So I, I know that Pedro Martinez has spoken on it, but Luis, Luis Tiant has been a great kind of influence in Dominican baseball to a point where a lot of guys still go back to the way he pitched and the kind of stuff he had when teaching guys today. So still has an impact on the game today, even though he might have, he might not be a, you know, everyday name, you know what I mean? Like someone like Roger Clemens. But who's your sixth no, pick? No, I mean, real, real quick, real quick. First of all, Brian, Brian screw you. That was a terrible pick because 
I legit thought I was going to get him in two more rounds. So that means that's an awesome pick. Good job. But Louis Tiant has actually guided so many pitchers in the in the MLB. Levon Hernandez, El Duque, and the yeah. biggest one of all was and is Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto tries to be Louis Tiant. And, I mean, his hair, his attitude on the mound, his physical motions, like – if, for those who want to know who Louis Tiant was without going back and looking at the video, watch Johnny Cueto. And, but now imagine a guy who has flair for the camera and people like to watch. And there's a, Louis, uh, Johnny Cueto is a calm-down version of Louis Tiant. But, man, that was a good pick. I legit thought I was going to get him on this turnaround, and I'm shook right now. I'm, I, I'm still surprised he's here, to be honest. Um but he's, uh, you know, the son of Cuba. I know he got through baseball through the Dominican route and the Mexican league route. But, uh, yeah, he's such an influence to young pitchers all over Latin America. I mean, he's 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 like a, he's like the godfather, honestly. Like, the way he, his funky delivery, the, the success he had in his 30s. I mean, he was a Cy Young potential candidate in 68 as well with the Indians. So yeah, he already a was a pretty good pitcher. Absolutely, yeah. man. And who's your seventh pick? Um, and you know, with Fred Lynn being picked and that's very disappointing. Um, you know, I, I, that was a little, that irritated me a little bit, but, um, I'm going to go with, see, I'm stuck between two guys. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to go with Dwight Evans in right field. Santa Monica's born own. I'm going to, I'm just going to have an all California outfield right now. It's what it's looking like. So here's the thing with Dwight Evans. He was not Fred Lynn. Fred Lynn was a better player, but Dwight Evans was just as consistent for a longer period of time. And I think with Evans, um, yes, he did have a good career with the A's as well. But when you look at those seventies Red Sox teams, I mean, and then you add Jim Rice later on, they had a lot of firepower. And this is why it's really frustrating for me when I look back, actually Dwight Evans played his whole career at the Red Sox. Fred Lynn went to the angels. So Dwight Evans stuck out his whole career and played it out with Wade Boggs, Carlton Fisk, Fred Lynn. Imagine if all these guys stayed, which is pretty much my point. Like it, it's aggravating to me. These the '80s Red Sox could have been a dynasty. They should have been. They were every bit as good as as the Indians and the Astros have been for the past like four or five years. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Like in comparison, just ridiculous. Coulda, shoulda, woulda, but weren't. Uh, no, that's Red Sox history in a nutshell. <laughs> Well, no, I, so I had Dwight Evans and Fred Lynn right next to each other when I did my uh, outfield rankings. You know what? Surprisingly, though, I have a few guys ahead of those two guys that haven't been picked yet. But, again, Fred Lynn and Dwight Evans might have had a longer uh, span of, you know, good Red Sox years instead of some of the guys I had. But that being said, man, Rob, who's your seventh pick? Yeah, so I have I have Pedro and Cy Young still just sitting at the top of my rotation. So I'm not, I'm not too worried with picking a third starter right now. So I'm just going to continue adding to the offense. And I believe this guy hasn't been picked yet. Um, Brian just mentioned him. I'm going to go ahead and take Jim Rice for the outfield. Jim Rice, absolutely. Great. The best, the only Red Sox broadcaster I actually like. (laughs) That is not Joe Castiglione, honestly. Honest to God. Well, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take him as a player um, and he was he was the 1978 MVP. He was an eight-time All-Star. 
1977 to 1983, I have his stats listed as three hitting 309 with 228 home runs, 754 RBIs, and a 910 OPS. Something that I did want to point out about his MVP season in 1978, he hit 315 with 46 home runs, 139 RBIs, and a 970 OPS. Not only did he lead the league in home runs and RBIs that season, but he also led in slugging, OPS, hits, and triples for an outfielder. He also had 15 triples to go along with that MVP season. So I think that's a pretty solid choice right there to kind of round out um, what's left of my outfield. And that's the most that's... under, the most underrated player of that era, honestly. Took yeah, him forever saying... to get in the Hall of Fame. That's definitely that's definitely a Rob pick because I know Rob is a big peak guy, and because of that, I had Jim Rice going before Fred Lynn and Dwight Evans because I thought uh, Rob would go ahead and take that MVP year and things like that. So 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 good pick by Rob. Nick, you're up with your number seven. It was a great pick by Rob because he did not pick my pick. And I think there's the other guy that's on your list. He's new. He's fresh. He's so clean. And he's going to be the absolute epitome of screw the Dodgers, go Red Sox after this year does not get played. Mookie Betts, right field. <laughs> Mookie Betts. And I don't think we have to say a lot of it. He's one of the newer guys. He's one of the the best players in the game right now. Someone who's in he's in the news, like like Nick said, just got traded to the to the Dodgers. Who knows? Possibly back on the Red Sox the next time we play baseball. It's not out of the realm of possibilities. Uh, so let's that would not be spend, funny. That would be funny. <laughs> let's not spend too much time on Mookie. We know he's a go glover. Uh, he he's just you know right now he's all world man. Who's your eighth pick, Nick? So my eighth pick, I'm checking a little stats, making sure I got everything right. Because I like me some versatility. No, he wasn't that good. So I'm going to go with what I think after this point, it really falls off at this position. And I'm going to go with, in the movie Moneyball, referred to as the Greek god of walks, Kevin Euclid. <laughs> and you can take him in a few positions. First base and third base, man. Uh, definitely, definitely a Yankee great. Let's not even call him a Red Sox. He's a Yankee great. But, no, in this, in this end of the age, you kind of drove that thing about, you know, you want to get on base. He was an on-base machine. He was a great hitter. It went during his peak. Uh, you know, and like like Nick said, man, they mentioned him, they mentioned him on, uh, what's it called, uh, Moneyball. Do you, have, do, you have, do you have anything else on him, Nick? Um, I mean, he's just overall a great dude. Um, he actually does a local brewery here in the Bay Area, and he's on our local radio station all the time you know, pitching it, but he seems like a really cool dude. Um, he's been to the stadium a couple times at AT&T to promote his beer. And he, he stays like he gets there early and he stays like he, I like it when athletes understand that they're bigger than just people. And if you go to, in this case, promote your beer, but you're at a baseball stadium, like you're going to get talked to about baseball. And he responds so well to that. And I, I really like it. So outside of the baseball where he was, he's the all-time home runs leader for Boston at third base. Um, played a solid third base. Great guy to get on base for you. And I think he was really a spark. Um, One-time gold glove, so he's got some defense. Three-time all-star. And as high as third place on the MVP vote in 2008. There you go, man. Great great career. Uh, probably, definitely not a Hall of Famer, but especially some definitely someone that people should talk about for years to come. Uh, Nick, who's your eight? I mean, Rob, who's your eighth pick? I'll try to give your pick away again. 
Yeah. Um, so, so for my eighth pick, I kind of, I wrote down a name at first and I just completely crossed it out. Um, just because you know what, I'm tired of waiting around. And I think these guys, um, these two guys are definitely going to try to build their rotations, however they want to build them, but I'm going to go ahead and make my last rotation, uh, pick. And with this guy, I think I'm going to have solidly the best rotation in terms of a Red Sox. His stint might not be as long as all the other guys, but I'm going to go ahead and take Chris Sale to close out my rotation. Chris Sale. I'm actually surprised you didn't take somebody else there. I'm surprised you didn't take somebody else there, but... No, nah, man. See, like, in, in terms of what you were talking about, in terms of peaks, like, I, I think Chris Sale is, is the definition of that. And, you know, we he had this last season in Boston, and you already know I was one of the people who really early on said, hey, he just looks off. He looks like he's going to have an off season this year. Um, but taking, a, taking into account his first and second season in Boston... Um, he went 29 and 12 with a 2.56 ERA, a .92 WHIP. He had 545 strikeouts compared to 77 walks and a 13.2 strikeout per nine. Um, to me, those two seasons, he was an All-Star both seasons. Um, he's had two top four Cy Young finishes with Boston in those two seasons. He's also one of those guys who's never won a Cy Young, which to me is just ridiculous. Um, I, I think Chris Sale definitely deserved a Cy Young in his resume. I think going back to his White Sox days, he has like six or seven straight seasons now where he finishes like top five in Cy Young voting. Um, so I think it's it's a more than solid guy to have in, you know, People can focus on this season if they want. I'm focusing on the two seasons prior. I think he's going to come back and, and continue to to put things on track for the Red Sox. There you go, man. And there's, and, and there's one more borderline guy for me as far as potential top five starting pitchers for the Red Sox. Let's see if he gets taken here. Brian, who are you taking? So the first of my two picks, I'm going to go with two hitters here because I already have three pitchers, three very adequately awesome pitchers in very different ways. Um I'm going to go center field, a guy that kind of gets slept on a lot in that post-World War II era because of a very famous brother of his that played for the Yankees. I'm going to go with Dom DiMaggio. I, I mean, this guy was a successful dude on and off the diamond. Um, you know, he was, a set, he was a steady, steady figure for the Boston Red Sox for many, many years in center field. And, um, you know, I know obviously being – you know, the third member of his family to be a professional baseball player that had to have been quite a burden on him. And he was still a 300 hitter, lost three years because of military service, which were literally probably could have been the three best years of his career because he was already a borderline MVP player as is. And he was a borderline MVP player pretty much until 1951. And then obviously he faded away towards his mid thirties, but fantastic player. Um, a guy who, you know, as I said, was a guy who got slept on in that era. Just a guy who lost three years because of the war. Would it be? He'd be a Hall of Famer otherwise. Yeah, Don DiMaggio, definitely someone that you're not going to ever talk about because his brother was so good. And that's the unfortunate part about it. He, you know, he was someone who was in consideration for me, but because of that fact, I didn't think anybody was going to take him. Uh, <laughs> who's your ninth pick? So the next pick I'll go with at second base is somebody from that same era of that 67 Red Sox team, but he was a long dweller, uh, and that's Bobby Doerr. Uh Probably the greatest second baseman in Red Sox history. Um, and to be honest with you, he was just he, he, another guy. He was just a great player for a long time. And, you know, had the Red Sox built better players around him, Dom and Ted Williams, people would, especially a pitching staff, 
uh, that era would have won a little bit more something. He was an all-star pretty much every year in the 40s, the whole decade. So that that tells you how good he was. Definitely the best second baseman in Red Sox history. Uh, and I'll say this, we, we talked about a little bit before. Second base might be the, the weakest position in Red Sox history. And after that Bobby Doerr pick, I have one more guy who's the top of his position. But other than that, man, we're looking at we're looking at guys who are second and third best at, at their respective spots. Rob, wow, we just way the draft host. Good job. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I got you. <laughs> Rob, who's your number nine? All right, so I'm going to follow that up very quickly, and I'm also going to stick at second base, and I'm going to take the 2008 MVP, Dustin Pedroia. Hmm. There you go. Not surprised. Second, second best uh, second baseman on the Red Sox on my list. Yeah, I think I think overall um, you can go with Bobby Doerr, but if you're, you know, once again, I'm the peak guy. If you're going with a single season, I mean, Dustin Pedroia's MVP season in 2008, 326, 17 home runs, 83 RBIs. He had an 869 OPS. He led the leagues in runs scored, hits, and doubles. Um, and overall, in terms of his peak, you know, before he really started to get injured with the Red Sox from 07 to 2011, he did hit 309 um, with an 846 OPS. Um, and he had, he had probably like around 845 hits. Um, so I, I thought, you know, he's, a, he's definitely a guy that if he would have not hit, gotten hit with so many injuries, he could have definitely been even a little higher on this list. Absolutely. Yo, ra- random thing that I'm just going to put out there. I don't think that there's ever going to be a non-pitcher who wins the MVP with less than 20 home runs again. Never. Just, just, yeah. With Pedroia, for me, it's a love-hate. I, I just, it's, it, I have a, I have the Francona book from uh, Dan Shaughnessy wrote five years ago. And Dan, Dustin Pedroia, his role in the collapse in the 2011 Red Sox and that whole Valentine season and the two seasons after that with John Farrell, uh, it, it, it's, he's a great player. I just, uh, you know, he won't be, he'll be looked at in a very different light once his career is over, I think. Uh, and that's going to be unfortunate for Dustin. It's not really his fault, but he didn't really, he kind of played with the Don, John Henry politics a little too much. Well, then you can't stay healthy. That's how I feel about it. But as I said, I'm not blaming him for it, but I mean, fans, fans don't like him because of the whole Manny Machado thing and how that whole thing started. So people blame Pedroia for why that whole thing erupted. Because he didn't step up and defended. Yeah, so. I feel you, man. Yo, Nick, you're up, man, and you have your knife and tough picks. Well, since there's no more second baseman left, and I completely did not see that happening right there. I did not see back-to-back second base. Um, I'm going to go with... I mean, everything else from here, honestly, for me... There is one other great option, actually. I probably won't find it. Because I'm not, I don't, I've never Nick, been on the East Coast for more than Nick, five before, hours at a time. Nick, before you go too far, I'm just going to say it. You already have a great second base option on your team already. So I wouldn't even worry about it if I were you. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> nice. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start going completely fan voting and Red Sox that I liked in their careers. And so I'm going to start off with, uh, what position do I want to go after though? I'm just going to go shortstop. I'm going to go Xander Bogarts. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I, I, was, I was a little worried you're going to go somebody else there. But, yeah, no, Xander is definitely one of the top three guys there. Um, it, it, you didn't go for the guy with your name, which I'm um, – which um, well, you guys don't get it because you guys can't see my screen. But 
I thought I thought he was gonna go that guy. But yeah, no, Xander Bogart, man, one of the underrated shortstops because we're so shortstop heavy in the league right now. But he's a guy that I think had a better season than the top three vote getter in, in Marcus Simeon last year. So I, I love Xander Bogart's great pick by Nick at number nine, man. Who's your number ten pick? So my number ten pick, unfortunately, I'm gonna have Jimmy Fox at catcher. Not that that's that unfortunate, because there's a catch I would still like to get. Uh, I think what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to take my last or eh, – it might not be my last starting pitcher. He might, might work his way to the relief. I'm going to go with Dennis Eckersley for the versatility. David Price would slap you in the face right now. Just so. I'm sure he would. And I would tell him he's a little fool. So, so, yeah, I'm going to get Dennis Eckersley. I would say this about Dennis Eckersley. Look, he, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a guy that, that we know has some great seasons with Oakland. But when it came to the Red Sox, I, I didn't know if you guys were going to take him. For, first of all, he didn't he didn't really pitch that many games in relief, as, at least not as much as he did with the A's. And his record as a starter was a little sketchy. So I'm a little bit surprised by Nick and that Dennis Eckersley pick, buddy. That's fine. You can be surprised all you want, and I will pull it up. But I believe he is in career. He's top 15 for whip. Let's see here. Yep, number 15 exactly. One, two, five to do it out of the starting rotation and out of the bullpen. There's that was some that was a skill that wasn't around then. So he was one of the first players to do it. Um, but he has over 100 wins as a starting pitcher. 3.92 ERA, 2.64 um, average against. I'm just I like the versatility of it. I have a lot of ways I can go from here. If I feel there's a starting pitcher that can bolster my roster i move act to the bullpen and if uh if i grab a reliever then he's my starting pitcher all right all right i mean i wouldn't do it but you got you got your reasons i, I can't be mad at it uh yo rob you have your number hey, 10 you, pick. you are a hater you are hating <laughs> rob the, the the draft organizer hates you and the host hates me <laughs> i'm the same it's all the same person so i hate everybody we're all good <laughs> yo rob who are you taking with number 10 all right, so for my next pick, I'm going to go with a name who might not be that well-known um, because he's from uh, the late 30s and early 40s. But, you know, I think the theme here with my team, outside of David Ortiz, I have a pretty versatile uh, team, guys that I can move around to different positions. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and keep up that trend. I'm going to take Joe Cronin. Joe Cronin, okay. That's a throwback. That yep. is a, that, that's a throwback, and that's not somebody I even had on my list, man. So tell me a little bit about Joe Cronin. So I wrote down his peak from uh, 1937 to uh, 1941. He was a five-time All-Star with the Red Sox. Um, during his peak, he hit 307 with 94 home runs, uh, 517 RBIs, and had a 9 909 OPS. Um, overall, just a really, really good player. Um, and he did play a lot of different positions for Boston. He was a he's primarily a shortstop, um, but he also did spend time at third base, first, and left field. Um, so, you know, I, I like the fact that he, in terms of his peak, he was an over 300 hitter. You know, you know me, I don't really care too much about, um, home runs cause your power doesn't determine things here. I mean, if you're over a 300 hitter and have a 900 over a 900 OPS, um, that's more than fine with me. And the fact that I can pretty much move him to a lot of different positions makes him a very attractive pickup. All right, man. I'm mad at it. Uh, Brian, you're up for your 10th pick, your 10th and 11th pick. I mean, so this this is this is getting this is getting really interesting now. Now we're getting to the nitty gritty. Um, this puts me in a really precarious position 
because this particular person, I don't necessarily... I have a lot of love for this person, but I'm not sure if this particular player is the caliber of player that I would presume putting on this level. But because I have a lot of respect for this particular player, I'm going to put him in here anyway, and that's John Lester. I love John Lester. Um, just Very nice he's pick. My, other than Pedro, my favorite Red Sox pitcher of all time, I remember watching the game, the no-hitter after he came back from leukemia. That was something. Um, the playoffs in 2007 and in 2013, he was – honestly, he was the best pitcher on that team in 2013. He was as good as anybody except for John Josh Beckett on the team at that point. Even Kurt Schilling, he kind of took the reins. Um, you know, as I said, I just have a lot of respect for John Lester, and I have no problem putting Babe Ruth in the bullpen if that's what it comes down to. Very nice, man. John Lester, definitely a Red Sox great. Who do you have at 11? Uh, this guy's going to shock you, but I'm going to pick him anyway because I need a shortstop. And before Nomar Garciaparra, there was John Valentine. And John Valentine, he's Seton Hall's finest uh, from uh, down New Jersey. Shout out to New Jersey. Um, you know, he was a guy that had a really good career. He was a good offensive player. He was a shortstop, second baseman, third base. He played all three spots. Had he not gotten hurt in his early 30s, he would have had a really good, long, consistent career. He wasn't an all-star player necessarily. He put up all-star numbers for maybe two or three years. But he was a consistent player. He was a good hitter. He was led the league in doubles in 1997, was a reliable player for the Red Sox. Had he been able to play healthy most of his career, he would have been better. But if you consider the face of those late 90s teams like the emotional leader, if you will, I need my own little Dustin Pedroia, my own little energy bunny. That's the guy in the lineup that's going to do that. Very nice, man. I think I think your, your vision as a fan is different than mine as just someone who was like, Looking things up, man. I, John Valentine just fell right outside who I had as my top shortstops. I had someone like Johnny Pesky and Luis Aparicio, Aparicio, like right in front of him, but not bad at all. He, he was right in the conversation with those guys, man. Uh, Rob, that being said, who's your who's your eleventh pick? You got my eleven pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and take the closer. In terms of in terms of closer, um, you could make an argument for other guys in terms of what they did in one particular season. But if you're looking at a stretch of multiple seasons, I don't think um, even as a Yankees fan watching this guy pick, I don't think I can go wrong with this pick. And I'm gonna take Jonathan Papelbaum. Nice. Love him too. Nice. I miss and, him too. He he was he was my first closer coming out, man. I thought I thought he was gonna take him a little bit earlier than this, um, especially considering the fact that uh, what's it called not not to get at Nick again, but uh, Papelbon did it out of the bullpen for the Red Sox longer than than any one of the other guys we've had here. But great great pick by yeah. Papelbon. I, I, I think some of the, yeah some some of the other guys that you pick. Um, I think if you look at the at the base stats. If you look at their at their best season, their best season will probably be better than Papelbon's best season. But in terms of like a four year stretch, I mean, Papelbon had a one point seven four ERA and a point nine one WHIP for a whole four year stretch um, there in Boston. Um, he had his strikeouts to walk ratio was also like pretty good, and he had over a hundred fifty game save. Um, so I'm I'm definitely comfortable going with Papelbon at closer. There you go, man. Nick, you're up. 
So there's not a whole lot left, and the Pat Ball pick was a good one, but I think I, I've got I've got three guys at the closer role I think are all equal. So with my next pick, I'm going to go with the second-best DH in Red Sox history overall, and I'm going to go with Reggie Jefferson. Ooh, Reggie Jefferson. All right. And you said you're going to have to measure your DH? That's a throwback. Yeah, he's that's that's really his main position. Um, so we'll we'll see what ends up happening. But he is the best hitter left on the board in Red Sox history. It's it's a short 449 games, so three seasons. But he had a 316 average, a 363 on base percentage, 505 slugging, and 868 OPS, which is solid for his for his time there. Um, I it's just he was the best hitter left with with some ratios that I liked. There you go, man. And who's your next pick? And my next pick is going to be – I'm going to have to choose my last pitcher. And I'm going to go with reliever, so that means X is going to be a starter for me, even though he's a little a little shaky. And so I'm going between what I have seen with no end or what I have seen with an end. And because of that, I'm going to go Koji Uhara. Ooh, Uhara. Koji. I like it. And I'm sure Red Sox fans right now like it too, man. I- I'm not going to lie. I- I'm not super surprised by it. Um, I guess I'll ask you this question when, when it's over because we're, 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 not, we're not done picking, but he's not really your typical closer. Did he want to go – were you thinking about just his relief appearances or do you think he closed out games for you? I mean, well, he has to close out games to me because it's between him and Dennis Eckersley at this point. And I guess there, there was another starting pitcher on the board while there is still some good ones that, in my opinion, gave me the solid feeling that Koji Uhara had. And to your point, he he did a little bit more of the longer relief before it was a popular thing, but I believe he's still second all-time or third all-time with saves. Um, but his ratios are better. So, uh, sorry, no, he's down there in saves, but his ratio, 0.81 whip, which is my favorite pitching stat, better than Kimbrell, better than Papelbaum, a 1.81 Average against, only Kimbrel's better than him in the Red Sox history. 79 saves. Um, just overall, his strikeout was more than one per inning. And that's a good ratio for me. So I'm happy with him as my closer. All right, man. I'm mad at it. Yo, Rob, who's your 12? I'm going to yeah, go with your um, offense. I'm going to go with pure offense here for my next pick, and I'm going to go with a guy who um, is, I think, in my opinion, was very crucial for the success of, of the Red Sox um, recently, and I'm going to go with J.D. Martinez. J.D. Okay. Martinez, all right. I was wondering if he was going to get picked. So was I. So was I. That's a little bit of a surprising pick for me. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think, think he was going to go here. That was going to be my pick. You see, oh, like, he, he was, he was – <laughs> You would think he was. You would think he'd be surprising, but like the thing with me is like the main. When I'm doing these in terms of hitters, the main number that I'm looking at is OPS, and I'm pretty sure he has the highest OPS of any other guy I have written down here by at least like 80 points. Um, even if it's just two seasons that that he spent in Boston, he has 79 home runs, 235 RBIs. He's hit 317 in, in both these seasons. He has a point, he has 0.985 OPS, almost a 1,000 OPS in these two seasons with Boston. Um, and he's a two-time All-Star. I think I think he was um, the perfect complement to 
to Mookie um, last year when or, or the year before when they won their title. Um, and I just think, you know, we've talked about it a little bit before, but he, I think he's still just one of the most underrated players in the game. Like, I, I still don't think JD gets like the amount of respect that he probably deserves. And that's totally because he's a DH. If it wasn't for him being a DH and he played even even shitty defense, he would be absolutely have way more praise from the majority of baseball. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean, the Red Sox could like he could realistically be in the outfield. I mean, not saying his his uh, his defense is like completely trash, but I think it's more of just the situation that the Red Sox had. You know, you're not going to sit out, you're not going to sit down Mookie, you're not going to sit down Jackie Bradley Jr. or Benintendi in the outfield, and you have to keep JD in the lineup. Now, you know, I mean, it's a similar situation. You still have guys out there, but hey, if all if all you're going to be getting from JD is offense, he does a pretty good job at it. Absolutely, man. And you guys bring up a good point, and it's something that we we kind of mentioned with David Ortiz already. DHs get a little bit of disrespect just because they're not on the field and it's not someone that we see. But another thing with JD that too is deserved disrespect. They are only doing half the game. <laughs> Let's be real. There you go. But no, like, but the other thing with JD too is he kind of had a later start to his his becoming a good to above average player. When he was with the Astros, he didn't really he wasn't really a great player. He didn't start becoming an above average offensive player until he got to Detroit. Then you know he went to Arizona and now now he's obviously with the Red Sox. So. I think that kind of hurts the thought of JD a little bit too, but what's it called? Brian, you have your last two picks, man. Who are you taking? So with my last two picks, I'm deciding to go a little bit off the grid here. So um, for a closing pitcher, I'm going to go with a guy that closed and started games for the Red Sox. But I also want to reiterate that he closed and started games for the Red Sox in the postseason and in the regular season. Um, My first of two picks is going to be – Brian, yes. wait, before you make this pick, before you make this pick, because we just need some clarification because you have four starters in the lineup, and now you're – you said Roof maybe in the bullpen, and now you're going to pick a closer. So oh, I, I know, no, this guy's be a closer. This guy's a closer. I'm just going over the career overview because okay, I think okay, it should okay. be noted. Okay. That's all. Just want to make sure. Oh, absolutely. So Roof is going to the bullpen. He's going to be my setup guy. So if Roof's going to be setting up in the seventh, eighth innings, I'm going to give the, t- the keys to Derek Lowe. And the reason I like Derek Lowe as my closer is very simple. Because when he was a cl- when he was a starting pitcher, he knew how to get outs. That sinker ball. He knew how to get double plays. He knew how to get ground balls. He knew how to get quick work. Um, he's also a guy that's recorded a no-hitter before, too. So he knows how to get hot, and he can get going. He was a very durable guy for a long time. Um, someone that I think if he was a little more flashy... He would have gotten a little more notoriety. Obviously, he pitched for the Red Sox most of the peak of his career. Was a big part of that 2004 team, even though he wasn't great that year. Um, just somebody that, once again, in the postseason, when you needed him, he was one of the few guys that never came up short. Never, 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 never. And the reason I picked him over, say, Craig Kimbrell is because, quite simply, he just had the longevity with the team. So that was kind of my, my tiebreaker. And he had 42 saves in 2000. So if they kept him as a closer his whole career, he might have very well had a few more of those type of seasons, despite 2001 being a little shaky. So very I'll nice, go with man. that for my first pick. And it sounds like Babe Ruth will be going to the lineup for you because that's going to be your fifth pitcher. Oh, who is Sway? Oh, that's right. Oh, that's yes. right. Okay. Babe Ruth is in your so lineup now. <laughs> Good. I'll, he'll play first base. So right, if that's the case, then that's fine. He'll play first base. Or actually, I could have Babe Ruth DH. Actually, yeah, we'll have Babe Ruth DH. We'll do Babe Ruth DH. Let me find a first baseman. 
Yeah, who's your who's your last pick? Oh, there's some good first basemen out there still. Kind of. Um Hmm. Oh my god, how did I forget him? Victor Martinez. That uh, he's another guy. Why did we get rid of him? Why did we not keep him? Uh, like, all right, him and Adrian Beltre are two guys that, like, I put in the same realm. Because even though their time with the Red Sox were very short, my God, he was so good those two years. I don't even care. Like, if he had stayed for three more years with the Red Sox, he would have had those MVP seasons he had with Detroit and Boston. And that would have that would have made it so much more crucial. And the reason I go with Victor Martinez over Ellis Burks is because of the way Ellis Burks left Boston. And I feel it would be a little disingenuous because he left Boston for things that had nothing to do with baseball. So to have a little respect for Ellis Burks, I'm going to leave him off this. Uh, but give him a little shout out as well because he was a hell of a player. But um, before Victor Martinez, he was just so good in 2010. Like... That race series was a disaster, but he was so good. So frustrating. Absolutely, man. I, I was wondering if someone was going to take him and if they took him, where they were going to put him. Victor, I think he kind of felt in that in that thing where you had David Ortiz coming in as DH. You didn't have a position at first for him that he played really well. His knees were done. He couldn't catch anymore. So it was like, ah, we kind of got to let him go at this point. But all right, Rob, now you have your last pick, man. Who are you taking? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to make this last pick quick. Um, it became pretty easy that this was going to be my last pick after uh, Nick went with Jimmy Fox and Brian took Carlton Fisk. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take the captain, Jason Veritek, at catching. Oh, thank you. Somebody took him. That's all I wanted, man. I was I was waiting. I was going to take him. I was going to take him. All right. Look, as long as somebody took him, you can't keep Veritek out of there, man. Look, if you just think about the perfect games and, and no hitters that he's caught – He's just like the definition of a leader at the catcher position. He's a big part yeah, of right, no Yeah, yeah. Like, man, he, he caught level. Level to do that. Yeah, yeah. He's won at every level. I want to say he he won a little league world series. I want to say he won a state championship and like in college too. So Veritek, just a great a great catcher, great leader, man. Someone that also stood up to A Rod. <laughs> Uh, during that time and, and, and almost just, for the, just for the A-Rod thing just for the A-Rod thing alone he'll never have to buy another drink in 75% of New England just for that alone <laughs> some parts go, of Connecticut man. will hate him but that's okay <laughs> we, we, we will take it yo and Nick now, now you have your final pick so I was going to take Veritek and I was going to move Jimmy Fox around because I got some versatility and Daniel said, I already have one of the best second bases on my roster. And I, so I had to go back and look. And little old me found out Mookie Betts played second base during his MVP year. So uh, <laughs> how, do you, I remember, how do you find that out now? Come on, man. You, you have know, to know that ahead of time. There's so he much played second base for Pataka, too. Yeah. When they needed him, too. So. so sorry. I always remember other more important things rather than Mookie Betts' two games at second base during that MVP year. But anyway. <laughs> That allows me to move him over, and I will never forget it ever again. That'll always be one of the trivia questions I know. And so I get to pretty much pick whatever I want. So I'm actually going to pick the single year from one of my favorite players ever. I have his Rangers jersey. I'm going to go 2010 Adrian Beltre at third base. Hmm. Adrian Beltre. 
Okay. The 2010 Red Sox break my heart. You, you got this is bringing back bad memories. <laughs> my bad. No, and, and, it's fine. And, it's, and, it's players and, I love though. Man, that team that team was stacked, man. I think that was the year they had Card Crawford. They also had Adrian Gonzalez. It was just a stacked team that ended up going nowhere, unfortunately, man. All right, and, and that being said, that's the end of our draft. Yo, Brian, your team is Ted Williams, Babe Ruth, Wade Boggs, Lefty Grove, Carton Fisk, Luis Tiant, Dwight Evans, Dom DiMaggio, Bobby Doerr, John Lester, John Valentin, and D- Derek Lowe, and Victor Martinez. How do you feel you did? I think I got uh, three or four pretty big bats. I think I got some solid, you know, guys that can get on base and, and bring guys in and score in position. But I also feel like I got in some very good leadership too. So I feel like this is a team where over the course of a season, I could trust these guys to not, you know, choke like most of our freaking history, freaking Red Sox people. Okay. So that's what it comes down to. And for me personally, a lot of these guys came up big in big moments when they needed to. So. All right, man. All right. Uh, Rob, your team was Pedro, Cy Young, David Ortiz, Yaz, Nomar, Fred Lynn, Jimmy Rice, uh, Chris Sale, Dustin Pedroia, Joe Cronin, Papelbon, JD, and Veritek. How do you think you did? I think I'm doing pretty solid, man. Um, like I said earlier, I think I think I walked away with the best rotation. Um, I think that was one of my main goals for, for this draft. And in terms of the outfield, pretty good outfield um, talent with Yaz, Lynn, and Jim Rice out there. Um, and the infield is pretty much outside of Cronin is pretty much modern day Red Sox. You know, you have Garcia Parra, you have Pedroia, you have Ortiz, um, Veritek, JD at DH. So, or um, we'll see. We'll see if I if I move a guy, guys a little bit around. But um, yeah, I, I like the team. It's a good mix of old and new. Oh boy, man! Now Nick, your team. You had Roger Clemens, Jimmy Fox with two X's, Mo Vaughn, Manny Ramirez, Tris Speaker, Smokey Joe Wood, Mookie, Uke. Xander, Eckersley, Reggie Jefferson as your DH. You had Okai, oh, what's, I can't even say his name, man. Okajima as a relief pitcher and Adrian Beltre at third, man. How do you think you did? I'm stoked with this team. There's a lot of personal favorites, uh, guys I like to watch when I was growing up. Um, and then there's a lot of really good older talent in there that is very universal. But anytime you have Mookie Betts at second base, you got a pretty good team going. Yeah, man, there you go. And look, before before we get out of here, I want to tell you some guys that I'm surprised, not surprised, but some guys I had that might have been taken. Uh, you know, I thought maybe Elston Howard or Tony Pena might have snicked in there. At first base, Adrian Gonzalez, I thought, deserved the look. Bill Buckner, even though he's, he's uh, world famous for missing that ground ball, he had a really decent career with Boston. Uh, you know, Jer- Jerry Remy, I thought, might have been a second baseman for somebody. He can um, call the game with Don Osillo. <laughs> That's the way I see it. <laughs> there you go, man. Third base, some guys that I thought were in the running. Mike Lowell had a good stint with Boston. So did Raphael Devers, obviously, last year. Uh, shortstop, Johnny Pesky, which was which was Nick's team, which I, is why I thought he might have taken him. Uh, Luis Aparicio was another guy at short. And then in the outfield, some noticeable guys that I thought might have been taken were Johnny Damon, Ellsbury, because he did have one really good season with 30-plus home runs. I thought that might have been a guy that Rob might have uh, snuck in there with. Ellis Burks, who I know uh, Brian mentioned kind of uh, a little short there. Uh, Andrew Benatendi was someone that could have been taken. As far as pitching goes, Kurt Schilling. I'm surprised no one took Kurt Schilling. Like, I I, I really thought... 
I think he was probably, I'll be honestly say this, I get in a lot of trouble saying this in Boston, but he was probably the most overrated figure of that 2004 team because outside of that playoff, outside of that first round game against the Angels where he went off, he pitched seven innings, he was one run, he was fantastic. Then he had that bloody sock game, but he also was awful in game two. Like he pitched awful in game two in that series. So I also want to make that he kind of put us on a hole to begin with. So as great as he was, he also we have to remember what led us to that point. So All right. I mean, with Kurt right. Schilling, he was better with Arizona. He was. He absolutely was, man. But you know, it takes a Red Sox fan and all that kind of stuff, man. Like uh, Tim Wakefield, I thought someone might have gone with, and one of the old time guys that Nick probably would have given me credit for was uh, Tris Beaker. I thought he might have been someone that people were looking at. That's and good because I drafted him. Ooh, did you? Yeah. Oh, you did. He did. He did. Oh, you did. Oh, he did. Oh, he did. He did. Well, he drafted I, I would have been pretty early. Realized I drafted him. <laughs> nah, man. I just mute you. Nah, I'm kidding. But yeah, no. Okay, so that that's good. He was taken. And then the closers, Kimbrel. Even though he had an up and down kind of career in Boston, I thought he would had did enough there that he would have been taken. And then last guy who I thought Nick was looking at because of his strikeout numbers. Uh, Dick Raditz. I thought he was someone that, that Nick might have looked at. He's someone I thought about, too. He's someone I thought thrown in there, too. But the only reason I went with Derek Lowe, because I feel like with Derek Lowe, the Red Sox would have kept him at close. It's like with John Smoltz and what happened with Kurt Schilling in Philadelphia. He would have been a closer, but the thing is, Lowe came up as a starter. They threw him in the bullpen because they had not enough. There was a lot of shortage in the way relief pitchers were pitched in the 90s, from what I understand from guys like Dan Roach. Uh, and other Cape League guys were telling me back in those days was in the pitchers in the 90s, all failed starters would get thrown in the bullpen. That was the way they did it, instead of training people to pitch out of the bullpen like they do in nowadays. So Derek Lowe kind of got caught in that, you know, abyss, if you will. But his first full season being a starter, he won 20 games. So for me saying, like, if he worked as hard as, as a closer, I would have taken him over Kimbrell, as good as Kimbrell was. There you go, man. Yo, look, before we leave, I need one thing. You're the first person I talked to from Boston. Can you say car keys for the fans at home? Car keys. Hey. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm satisfied. And that's with literally how I say it, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm happy with that. That's all I really wanted out this whole episode. All right, man. Look, with that being said, everybody, look, find us on our website. You can find Brian on there too, man. He's going to get on with with, with, uh, some of our baseball and and other overall sports stuff, man. He's he's basically our Boston guy, along with maybe Sammy. Uh, That's a different story. Uh, But anyway. Sammy. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, look, seriously though, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Um, Great to talk to a real Boston person. Uh, Rob, Nick, man, great job as always. For everybody else, man, look, find us on Facebook. That's where we speak, talk most of our shit. Um, you know, we have our we have our uh, what's called our website, saw.com. Find us there. Uh, we have our Instagram, we have our Twitter. Come look for us. We're here to talk baseball for you too. So and other sports too, not just baseball. Uh, come find us, man. And other than that, see you guys next episode. Yo, toodaloo, toodaloo. Peace out. And one last time, say car keys. Car keys. All right. See you guys next time.